Valentine's Day can feel like a cruel reminder of love lost, like rubbing salt in a wound. On today's episode, we'll talk about the real definition of a loving relationship, how not to lose faith in love, and how you can always have love in your life. We'll talk about 10 different ways to find love on Valentine's Day, even if you are getting a divorce. I'm Sharon Pastore, and this is the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. So our focus today, keeping your heart open, we scheduled this because that Valentine's Day thing is coming. And for some of us, it has energy around it. For some of us, it doesn't have so much energy around it. But it does really beg the question about love. And one of the things that my guests and I wanted to do today was to really talk about what love is, what that definition of it is, and what we might do with that. Because if we're even in the position of considering divorce, people on the call may be considering it, transitioning through it on the other side of it. We may have a lot of questions. What is this thing love? Was it love that I really had? And then what happened to it? What happens if I pursue love again? And how do I deal with this? We'll call this Valentine's Day thing. So we will come to that specifically as well a holiday that is dedicated and focused on this idea of love. So that's really what we're here to do today. So I want to introduce my guest, Dr. B. Janet Hibbs. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's an educator, a speaker, and co-founder of Contextual Therapy Associates in Philadelphia. She has a private practice, and she's also the author of Try to See It My Way, Being Fair in Love and Marriage, and all of that information is available on her website about the book. I'll ask her to, when she introduces herself just to say a few minutes about it, a few words about it, and then we'll come back to it again at the end. So welcome, B. Hi, Adina. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate your inviting me on to the show today, and I'm happy to speak to you as well as the guests that come in to um, ask their own questions, which I always learn from. Um, Just briefly, I'm both a psychologist and I'm also a marriage and family therapist, and so I see many couples in my practice, uh, as well as individuals and families in, I would say, a kind of range of situations. As you said, some are in the discernment process of whether they um, are going to get married or stay married, um, and many of them are trying to sort out how do you decide. So um, that's often a, you know, Valentine's Day, kind of like New Year's Eve, is often a marker by which people make decisions because they begin to reevaluate New Year's Eve. It's the year, Valentine's Day, it's love. Absolutely. And so really that's what we're here to talk about. And I love when we spoke ahead of time, one of the first things that we came up is we talked about what does it, what does this love thing mean and what do, how do we define it? And for those of us who, you know, may be considering what does that really mean? Do I, do I really have it? Will I ever have it again? Was it real? What I did have is let's talk about that 
um, what does love mean? But actually, before we do, I just wanted to um, think about Hallmark's definition of how we celebrate love here with just a fun fact before we go into that, is that one of the things as I was searching for information about Valentine's Day is I was just shocked to know because I wonder if everyone were live, I would ask if anybody knew, and if somebody read my blog article, they probably did, but how many pounds of chocolate and how many roses are actually sold on Valentine's Day as markers of this love, and I was really blown away, but 58 billion, that's a really big number, 58 billion pounds of chocolate and 198 million roses, roughly, is what we'll exchange over the course of a Valentine's holiday as markers of love. And so, as you said, we you know, may encounter this in all different places. So let's talk about what love really is, because it is more than the box of chocolates, and it is more than the dozen long stem roses. So how do you think about it when you're working with clients? When, when I have couples come in, I mean, they're often coming in because they are mixed up about, you know, if I love you, then why are you mean to me? Or <laughs> if you love me, then why don't you know what I want? Why don't you understand me better? So I would say love is this um, kind of evolving, you know, creature that starts off, you know, with a lot of passion, which I think keeps the species going. And then eventually, you know, with the demands of work and life and kids, it becomes management.inc. And it's a huge, I would say, um, both growth experience and also sometimes a a painful experience in terms of what you didn't know about yourself and the other person. But in terms of what is love, I, I truly think that it is, when it's in a good spot, it is that seesaw of reciprocity where we feel considered, where we really try hard to consider the other, where we try to give them the benefit of the doubt, where we recognize that when problems occur, our goal is to solve them and not do a character assassination. So it's this mix of play and and um, bonding and passion um, when most of us are very overwhelmed <laughs> by work and the demands of life. Absolutely. And you said so many things in there. So I'm just going to back up and unpack a number of them because I know how many people are re- are already connecting with the things that you said. I know that one of the ones I grew up with, and I grew up with in a family where, well, if you loved me, you would know what I was thinking, right, right. and how sabotaging right. that can be. Yes. Yep. That's, and often, I mean, just to throw this in, the genders break down along that line. So women who tend to be more emotionally attuned just by culture and also by often having more uh, early childhood care, they're very emotionally attuned and they figure that their partner should be as emotionally attuned. And if that partner is a guy, they're often out of luck. So guys, common complaint in my office is just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And women are often, if I have to tell you, then it spoils it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally no win. All right. So I'm going to leave people in suspense a little bit because we're going to talk about what to do about that um, in a little bit. The other thing that you said is, this idea that life becomes this management, like our household becomes management inc. and everyone starts getting involved with the duties and chores and what do we have to do to keep life rolling? Because if there are kids, we've got kids, we've got bills to pay. If you're in the Northeast, you have snow to shovel. You have all these kinds of things to do. And 
what started out as passionate love and all of the things of ways, as you said, of mindfully regarding each other and passionately regarding each other can so easily um, transform into this management team where all we're doing is taking care of stuff. So how does that play out also for men and women? Because I thought that was a pretty interesting um, angle that you brought in for our listeners here. Okay. So I think part of what happens um, is that today's generational cohort, which is very different probably from how you were raised, where it may have been a more traditional marriage in which the husband uh, went to work and the mom took care of the kids. I mean, that was breaking down in the 80s. And today we have what's called peer marriage or the more egalitarian marriage where people expect a closer to 50-50 split. But what is required if you want a 50-50 split is that you have to renegotiate a huge amount of the who does what. There's about 200 things to do on the who does what list um, that I refer to in my book and also John Gottman, the researcher, talks about. And so part of love is your ability to really understand what you want, to articulate it clearly, and to work out the negotiation so that you feel fairly considered. Because to make love last, you have to feel fairly treated. If you don't feel fairly treated, then you lose trust. Absolutely. And there's so much communication involved. I also imagine that it's important for couples, couples, and we'll get into this when we get into how do we make love last, is at some point we've got to put the to-do list down and say we're actually going to focus some energy on the intimate part of our relationship because if we're only focused on getting things done, then that stays on the back burner and we never re-engage. And that's when couples can lose a lot of luster in their relationship. Dina, Dina, that's so true. I think that, you know, part of the freedom that an, an egalitarian marriage or relationship promises is the freedom that then each partner may have, hopefully that's the goal, so that they can play. And when you think about intimate, you know, relationships and passion, it's basically based on play. You have to have enough time to feel playful if you're totally drained and, you know, depleted by life's demands, then you're not going to have enough time to feel playful and sexy and, you know, feel connected that way too. Absolutely. And so let's talk about, you know, we're already merging into there, is what are some of the practices that enable love to last? and some of the things that we miss along the way. And I know as we talk about this for our listeners, some of, many of our listeners are going to say, oh, yeah, that happened in our relationship or that's happening in our relationship right now. So people will resonate with the things that, you know, maybe have gone astray for them or that ended up not working for them. But And then also, like, what are the things that can be done, whether it's in the relationship that you're in now or you're thinking ahead of time, like, what went wrong? You know, what are the factors that can really enable a relationship to be sustaining and passionate for a long period of time? Because the other thing that's also true is that with us living so much longer, and this is why we're seeing the rise of the gray divorce, is that with living so much longer is that marriages can last a really long time, right? It's not unheard of to have a 70-year, 50-year marriage, 60-year marriage, 70-year marriage because people are living so much longer and so sustaining a truly engaged and passionate relationship. So what are some of the keys to this? 
Well, first, I, I want to just tag on to this. What people really often don't know is that the divorce rate today is the same as it was 100 years ago. But 100 years ago, you could count on your spouse to die. <laughs> mm. And today, that's not a really good way to end bad marriage or a bad relationship, right, or one that isn't working. It might not be bad. It just might not be working. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a huge number of, uh, you know, basically both maternal and paternal deaths in the 19th and even into the early 20th centuries before children were out of the house. So that's not true today. So as you said, there's a lot of graying divorce or, and, and there are marital, there are spikes in divorce at years five to seven and in 18 to 20 for very different reasons. But I'm not answering your question. Your question was really how do you keep kind of the, the love life burning? How do you keep those, those fires going with all of the things that are demanded upon people? So in addition to, like, building time for play, and I actively encourage couples to do that, you have to have a time where you can, you know, shoot the breeze. I actually think one of the disservices that the 158 million roses do is the notion that you should give a huge bouquet once a year, and all the research for couples says no. It's better to give a rose a day. And by that, what's meant is do something thoughtful, kind, appreciative, to show your love every day because the once a year thing, it's like it's over. It's over pretty quickly, but the sustaining effort is what what it takes to have people feel loved day in and day out. So um, I'm, I really am a strong believer in showing appreciation, uh, making sure that the other person really, guys and women kind of want different things. Women often want the other, the partner to be compassionate. Men often want to feel that they're valued and that their efforts really mean something. So they're after slightly different things from the other. And the other, you know, we always act as if the other is exactly like us. And so it's important to recognize what's meaningful to the other person that really may not be meaningful to you at all. You do it because it's meaningful to the other person. So I'll give you one silly example. My husband years ago, when we were first married, complained about how I loaded the dishwasher. And I thought it was really a little nutty on his part. <laughs> he wanted to load it his way. But I, you know, I thought, you know what? If this is meaningful to him, I'm going to do it. Even though I don't think it's the right way, quote unquote, I thought, who cares what's right? I'm going to do it because it's meaningful to him, and he, and I do that, and he really appreciates it. So I think that's so true, and that we do expect people to respond the way we've typically responded. And I know when I got sure. married, I had grown up in a household where food was really important, and my father, you know, having a good meal was definitely a way to his heart. So I took that into the marriage. The problem is, my husband didn't really care about the meal. <laughs> You know, that all of this kind of way of being thoughtful was not his language. It's not how he felt, you know, loved and regarded. He needed something completely different. And, you know, then I was like, oh, okay, I'm putting forth all this effort and I'm not really getting anywhere. Yes. I mean, that's a great observation is trying to understand what's the other person's love language because it and for them to understand what's ours because they may be completely different. And so one of the things that helps love last is really understanding the meaning for the other person. 
rather than just trying to convey our own meaning, which is what often couples wind up in arguments about. You just don't understand when you don't either. So people often get stuck in, like, not really closely paying attention to what's the meaning for the other. <laughs> right. And, B, yeah. before you go on to the next thing, I want to take you back to the first thing you said, which was time for play and, like, that rose every day right. and how do we show our appreciation. Yes. Well, you've been doing this for a long time. You've had many, many clients that you've worked with. What are some of the ways that your clients – have figured out to give the rose every day, so to speak, that ended up really working for them? They often, I mean, so it's built on a number of basics. Um, so I'm going to name some of the basics first, and then I'll go to how, how do you build on those basics. So one of the basics is that you give, you give up these destructive urges, because unless you give up destructive urges like, you know, you have to do five times the number of positives to make up a negative. So it's a lot easier if you just give up the destructive urges because then the ratio can, like, come easier. But, you know, so you give up some of the destructive urges, like, you know, fighting to win and prove that you're right um, and, you know, blaming, uh, you know, deciding what is it that I want rather than just blaming someone that I didn't get it. Um but to go on to appreciations for a minute, it's like backing up your words with deeds. So people need to show that they love the other. Um, and they can show it in lots of different ways. So many people in my practice um, really value the, you know, the kind of please and thank you and the recognition of small efforts. Others um, surprise, they, you know, take turns surprising each other with like, hey, you know, Pack your bag, you know, put these kind of clothes in your bag. Um, where we're going is a surprise. Or it could be something on a very small scale, like um, I'm making dinner, you know, reservations out. Like, you know, I, but the surprises, like doing new things actually really does enliven a couple's passion and interest in each other. Because when you think about it, part of what helps us in the falling in love phase is we're learning so many new things about the other. And then we get to know them, and it's kind of like your child. By the time they get, you know, to be five or six, they no longer run up to the door going, it's you again. They go, oh, yeah, hi. Yeah, bye. Right. <laughs> it's old. So keeping things new, the brain loves new things, and so does love. It loves new things. That's such a great point, and I know that now if I get a text in the middle of the day from my partner, I just it stops me because I'm I'm going, I'm on my you know track to get all this work done, and then as soon as it comes through, I stop and I smile, and it's a moment of just wow, you know, being filled with just a loving experience. And how long did it take to write a text? I mean, it didn't take very long at all, but yet it completely changed and transformed the moment in my day. And that's really, I, I think, so important is, you know, not only a, ro a rose a day, but the notion of checking in at different points, even if you're not able to speak, sending an email, sending a text, say I'm thinking of you, remembering what's going on in the other person's life that day so you can ask about it. Hey, how'd that meeting go? Hey, I know you were not looking forward to such and thus. How did that go for you? So remembering of something about the other person's life, you can follow up on that, really helps people feel like they're known. And feeling known, if we go back to childhood for a moment, feeling known and feeling understood is this key, key building block for feeling loved. 
Absolutely. And we do want to be known and seen. And the other side of this is something that you said, B, before, which is about communicating what you want. And I don't care whether it's your partner or it's your kids or it's your friend or it's even to your parents, because I've done this, this notion of not expecting that people are going to read your mind. But when you, you know, give people the information about how they can love you well how they can support you well, how they can love you well, what's meaningful for you. And when we give somebody else that information, we have the opportunity to receive it and we give them the opportunity to completely show up. I think that's a crucial point because, uh, sadly, um, one of the distortions, there are many uh, distortions and assumptions about love, and one of them is if I'm loved enough, my needs will be met automatically without my having to convey what my needs are. And one of the huge downfalls I often find for couples is they're mad at each other uh, or frustrated. And the, you know, one of them will say, well, you should have done something different. I don't want to have to tell you what to do. (laughs) And the other says, if you just tell me, I'll do it. So part of it oftentimes is that we can more easily sense when something's wrong, then take the time and effort to figure out what am I asking for. Because feeling mad about what's wrong makes us feel powerful, and yet asking for what we need makes us feel vulnerable. And so people often don't go to, I need to make myself vulnerable in order to get my needs met. But that is truly, I think, a crucial part of learning whether the other can meet your needs is to figure out what am I asking for and getting out of the blaming mode. Absolutely. And that piece about vulnerability is so critical and our willingness to be vulnerable. The rewards for stepping into places of vulnerability are so tremendous and it's so difficult to do, but definitely an invitation that you just gave people to really think about what could come from stepping into that. I want to shift the conversation slightly here to, you know, those of us who may not be with someone this Valentine's Day, the notion of it can be like really frustrating or, you know, just looking at all these things generate a lot of emotions. One of the promises we made in this call is how people can always find love and that one of those relationships that has the potential to always be loving is that relationship with ourselves or a place where we can always find love is in our relationship with ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about that notion of loving ourselves and what does that mean and what role does it play both in our own happiness and and in in the ability to have a loving relationship with someone else? Well, Adina, first I want to suggest to everyone, and I had a lot of practice doing this because I was by myself for many, many years um, as as an adult, and uh, one of the things I really encourage people to do before we get to that um, question is to shrink Valentine's Day. So any of you Sean White fans know that Valentine's Day is like the Winter Olympics of love, but like a one-time day really, you know, can go very, very south. And, you know, and it is really not, it's just, it's not, it's a very imperfect measure of love, whether you're in a couple or whether you're by yourself. And so to take care of yourself on this day, first of all, I 
I really encourage you to shrink it. Whether you are, you know, in a couple, you can enjoy it in whatever way you can, but shrink it in terms of the symbolic meaning. And if you're by yourself, um, then part of what I would say is I really encourage you before that day, like write down a pleasurable list of activities for yourself. Do things that are fun for you. Do things. You, we all need social support. Um, so plan something with a friend if you can. Uh, but in terms of the larger question of how do we love ourselves, I think part of it is really going back even to childhood and, and thinking about how have I really made contributions? How was I a caring, thoughtful person even when I was a child? Because many times parents forget to tell children how much they appreciated them or what a joy they were. And obviously children are also a lot of hard work, but children bring an enormous amount of meaning to an adult's life. And yet parents often forget to tell kids that. So many adults in my own clinical practice are kind of stumped when I ask them, what did you do that was appreciated? Or how did you, you know, how did you consider yourself to be a very loving child? Because they never thought of the question. But it really helps people to kind of center themselves go back a long way and, like, recognize how hard you tried and how much you showed care. And even if you had a conflictual relationship with one parent or another, to recognize you made a lot of efforts before, you know, before maybe you said, I can't do any more right now. So I think on the one hand, loving oneself take, takes its roots from childhood, and I think we can all go back, in, at least in our minds, to, like, recognizing what we did do, how we did contribute. And I think loving ourselves today is partly allowing ourselves to do fun things. It's partly being in touch with the social supports in our lives, whether they are family, whether they are friends. Um, and, and really, again, to shrink Valentine's Day and to recognize it's just a day. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm going to talk a little, we'll talk a little bit more because we've made a promise of, of sort of 10 tips. And what I want to offer at the end is, as you said, shrinking it and also reframing this Valentine's Day piece a bit for people who are thinking now about what, how they want to use the time on that day or what it is they might engage with. You said a couple of things about being able to love yourself. And I know that this is a really painful thing, I'm sure, for people in your practice and for people that I meet with, too, because things that happen to us early in life in that early childhood, those first 10 years, no matter how small they might have been in the trajectory of an overall lifetime, somehow or another for most of us, there are some really poignant events or poignant habits or habitual behaviors that occurred that just left this indelible mark on us that keep us from being able to love ourselves or to engage in that relationship and, you know, to step out and put my vulnerability, one of my vulnerabilities out there. I know for me, it was a childhood experience and a playground that went on for a number of years in elementary school that really made it almost impossible for me to feel lovable despite achievements and all kinds of things. I just couldn't feel lovable and that there are these things that happen early on and so there's this process of trying to rebuild a relationship with ourselves where we actually learn to value who we are not just what we can do you know what where i can work what money i can earn what achievements i have or things like that but what are the things i can truly love and regard about myself 
And so, you know, I want to think about this as as somebody's developing perhaps a practice of loving themselves, is what are the things that it's most important to maybe start to pay attention to about who we are so that we can feel a more loving relationship with ourselves? Adina, that is a great question, and the uh, I don't know if I can say the top five things are, but I certainly think that part of being able to have a loving relationship about ourselves is, as you just reframed uh, this in terms of your own experiences, to go back to the um, injuries that we did experience in childhood and one of my mentors once said, um, it's in the nature of parent-child relationships for parents to injure children. And mm-hmm. I was taken aback by this, like, oh, no, I'll never do that. But, of course, <laughs> I made mistakes that I look at now and go, oh, my God, like, how could I have been so stupid? But, um, you know, part of it is going back and, like, really trying to understand what happened and, like, how did we experience it as a child? And if it's at all possible and safe, emotionally to return to the people with whom who love us best and also with whom those injuries happen because they do really register in a very profound way unless we're able to more objectively look at them and more objectively understand not only the impact on us but also the limitations of the lives of the people around us so Part of, uh, you know, part of loving ourselves is like looking at the baggage we bring to our adult lives as well as our adult relationships and cleaning it up. You know, as one person said to me, you know, my, everybody's got baggage, but my husband was not a neat packer. We <laughs> often owe it to ourselves to tidy up, you know, the baggage that we bring to ourselves and our ability, to, as you said, not just be a human doing, but a human being. So that's a huge thing. If we've been valued for all we've achieved, then we really may not pay much attention to who we are, how we've been thoughtful or generous or kind or caring, and and to begin to actively value those qualities, the kind of the goodness of, of self qualities, rather than how much money did I earn or, you know, did I get a job promotion? So those those are really key issues, I think. Absolutely. And just to, you know, put it in here is one of the tips that is one of the 10 we want to leave people with is I invited people as to something you might choose to do for, you know, Valentine's Day or any other day of the year that you're choosing to really focus on loving yourself is to write yourself that love letter. And I've actually invited people. I'm going to post one to myself on my blog and I've invited people to post theirs as well. But to spend some of this time on this day, and I'm going to say, you know, dedicated to love in a more expansive way to really investing some time and energy in finding the things that we can love about ourselves and taking some time to acknowledge them, to actually put them in writing and acknowledge them. And it doesn't have to come from anybody else. In fact, how powerful it is to come from deep in our own souls as a gift to ourselves, the things that we can find to regard about ourselves. I like that idea, Adina. I think that being able to um, really, you know, list and name the uh, aspects of ourselves that we we you know, do value and do appreciate and make us feel good and, and you know, loving is a really key element. And I think 
to whether you name those things out loud, whether you write them down, whether you talk to somebody that's a, a good friend or support in your life who reminds you of those things. Those are all wonderful ways of keeping us, uh, keeping us remembering like how valued and, and lovable we are. So what else is there in terms of our building this relationship with ourselves, maybe like daily practices, you know, because there's the big thing of tackling our childhood wounds. And then it's also loving yourself is a practice to be cultivated on a daily basis and on on a weekly basis. It doesn't just happen as an event. So what are some of the things that we can do as practices to cultivate this? One of the things that has been shown over and over again in many situations, especially when there's an ongoing or chronic stressor, which may be even the process of, of uh, you know, considering a divorce or separation is certainly an ongoing stressor for many people. Um, one of the things that's shown to be a huge factor in resilience is having social support. And social support means face-to-face contact with friends, face-to-face contact with people who love you and have loved you over time, as well as, you know, going out and just making, new, you know, new relationships or new friends. But having just two, not, not, you know, you don't have to have a crowd, just two people that can be there for you and who are, and, and who've known you over time and have loved you over time, that really is such a protective factor from children to teenagers, to adulthood, to old age, that's a key, key, key thing. It's like don't let go of your friendships. You know, keep them front and center. And so many of the uh, people I see in my practice who have recently separated or divorced, they make sure they have like a standing date, a standing time, a standing, you know, uh, something to count on where they get to see their friends and have fun again. Um, other ways of kind of day-to-day ways are I, I really believe that people don't uh, allow themselves to have enough fun or be silly. And so whether that is, you know, putting on upbeat music, whether that is doing something fun with your kids, if you have kids, um, doing something that you regard as silly, we allow children to do that, but then we forget that play is a, a part of like just enjoying ourselves and enjoying ourselves is an aspect of loving ourselves. So we get to work focused as adults and part of loving ourselves is really saying, I'm entitled to have some fun, to play, you know, to be silly um, and to enjoy the company of others that love me. Absolutely. So I want to take this and I want to take everything you've just said about how to cultivate the practice of loving oneself and put out this list. You know, I'm actually not a list person, the top 10, but I want to put out a list of 10 things. I framed it initially here as things on Valentine's Day, but really if we've been in this conversation as we have today, we know these are 10 things to find ways to cultivate love of yourself and love in your life. And it's not just on February 14th, right? It's for every single day of the year. And one of the framings as I was thinking about this is, you know, on one side we can say, well, let's minimize Valentine's Day, as we said, and it's really not so important and it isn't so important. And then being a student of mindfulness, I also said to myself, what if we mark this day as a reminder to be mindful of love? 
how we give love, how we love ourselves, how we share love with others. And instead of it being this day that has significance and judgment of where we are in our love life, that it's another day that's part of our mindful way of living, that it's a day that we can sit and think about our practices of love. So I'm going to put out a list of 10 things that encompass what you talked about and then give you an opportunity to respond and then want to share, have you share a little bit about your book and what's in there that can help people in cultivating the practices of loving themselves and having loving relationships. So here are the 10. Is one is you said treat yourself well, and so one I, one idea is to do that pampering of yourself. It can be with spa services, your mani pedi, the massage, a full uh, the sauna, the steam room, but something that physically feels good to you, and whatever your pamper is. This is one of the ways I would love to do it, but whatever pamper is for you. A second number two to plan for the ultimate bubble bath and night with a great book. (laughs) So many of my friends, oh, I have this book I've been dying to read, or this idea of a bubble bath seems so luxurious, but we never take time for it amidst all the things we have to do. And you know what? If this is time that you might be upset about not doing something else, what a great way to say, I'm going to indulge myself and give me something to do. Number three on the list is it's a great opportunity like many holidays are and like any time of year is to volunteer and share love with others because one of the greatest ways to bring love back into our lives and into our spirit is by sharing with somebody else. And so whether that's at a senior center or a homeless shelter or a veteran center, a place where you can share and give of yourself to someone else. You talked about creating, having some time with your kids and creating a fun experience. And I started immediately thinking in my head, gee, what are all the things that I could bake with my kids in the shape of hearts? You know, I could make quiches and cookies and cakes and pancakes or things like that, or just any old play and fun and having it be a night of some games. Mm -hmm. You talked about the social circle. So having a potluck party with a circle of friends does not have to be about Valentine's and roses and all that kinds of things, but what a great time, again, in a mindful way to connect with others and bring people that you love together and share. And it can be a single friends. It could be the friends who have partners who are traveling or just anyone else who wants to join and share in. I mentioned that love letter to self, spend some time acknowledging. I'm going to post one on my blog and invite others to post theirs. One of the things I love to do that's an indulgence is to engage with a creative project. Our mind can be so full of demons all the time and take us to sad places, but sometimes that project you've been saying, I never have time for, and this Valentine's Day comes on a Friday night right before a weekend, which is great. So is it a scrapbook? Is it painting a room? Is it taking on a sculpting project? Whatever it is, but engaging in something creative that you really love. How about you talked about this? Schedule a date with your close friend, either a live date or a Skype date, but bring someone you love into your life. I happen to love movies. I thought, wow, what a great way to spend the night on a Friday night is as a mini movie marathon. And to be able to take my favorite movies, line up a few, my hot chocolate, because it's going to be full of snow around here, and really indulge that way. And then here's my favorite, my number 10. It's how about writing a letter to each person in your life who really loves you. And I just thought about, you know, my list of people and 
you know, we all get so busy. We don't often have enough time to acknowledge the people who've been so important, who are so important on a daily basis, you know, at different parts in our lives, someone who's been estranged for a while. And how amazing would we feel to get a letter from somebody, but to be able to sit down and take some time and share with someone else. So those are my 10. B, any thoughts? Dina, I love that list. I especially love the, I mean, I love many, many of your ideas. The, I love the uh, writing to each person who loves you and obviously who you love. Um, uh, somehow that taps into my, my Southern heritage where thank you notes, we were not allowed to like, you know, get past uh, any holiday week, whether it was, uh, you know, birthday or any other holiday where we got a gift without writing thank you notes. And so, and it's so wonderful to get those notes. So it's like a little gift that you're both giving and getting, you know, to know how much pleasure you're giving someone by like, you know, taking the time to actively acknowledge them. So I do think that, you know, that focus on like not only receiving love, but giving love is, I mean, there's so much research on how giving love and giving of ourselves, you know, helps banishes the blues, helps us feel connected to a larger world, helps us get out of like our own perspective, which sometimes is gloomy. So I, I love the ideas that, um, that have, you know, all of those elements as, as you've named them. So those are, those are terrific ideas, and I wish people would um, not only have that as their tradition on Valentine's Day, but just keep doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of those that had, didn't make it onto that 10 list, but has been a real gift in cultivating that sense of love in the spirit for me, and I know many of my clients, has been keeping a gratitude journal and actually every day spending time and sharing gratitude. It's amazing, as you said, if you're in a relationship, share that gratitude and appreciation out loud, both the appreciation and gratitude for the other person and also just the things that you are grateful for. I am so incredibly grateful right now that I have working heat, power, and a roof over my head because the idea of being out somewhere without that would be terrifying right now and so grateful for people who call to check in. And just that act of going toward gratitude is transforming in terms of the spirit and the mind. I I couldn't agree more, and I think that um, being able to get in that place where we do experience um, the good that we have, because uh, our brains actually a little are wired a little negatively. I think it has this you know, from being eaten 50,000 years ago. So it's important to remind our brains, hey, it's pretty good out here. <laughs> right. So, B, tell us a little bit about your book and how people can, so what they'll find in it and, you know, what your goals were in writing it. My goals in writing the book were to address an area of, of what I would call like the self-help literature that um, is rarely talked about, which is that fairness is a very key component of love and of feeling love and of having love last. And so while all the, you know, many topics that couples argue about, whether it's money, kids, chores, sex, the in-laws, um, basically they, you know, you, you need to be able to negotiate what feels fair to each person in order to feel love in an ongoing way. And so uh, even though fairness feels extremely intuitive, you know, we basically babies know right from wrong, 
if that were all there were to it, no one would ever hurt each other. So it's a very complicated thing because in many ways we learn what's there and our family's growing up and we never stop to evaluate it until we're in a lot of pain. So part of the book was about like helping people understand uh, the notion of how do you negotiate what's fair in uh, across a wide range of topics in relationships and also what do you do if something grossly unfair has happened. So or even unfair in a in a, just a thoughtless way because what many people get stuck with is the injury and they don't know how to repair it. So part of the book um which is titled Try to See It My Way, Being Fair in Love and Marriage, um, is about helping people understand how do you, um, you know, how do you tease apart these elements of love and fairness? How do you restore fairness? And if people are interested, you can go to the website, www.trytoseeitmyway.com, and you can read more about it. You can get fairness tips. You can get a fairness questionnaire. You can order it online or as an ebook. So, um Thanks, Adina, for giving me a chance to tell you what it is. Uh, That's why I wrote it, and it was a very gratifying experience. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.